Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Let Me Talk. I'm Michelle Elman. And I'm Amali Lee. And in this podcast, we talk about everything from sex to spirituality, dating to diet culture. And today we are honing in on anxiety, which seems to be a word that is everyone's mouth at the moment. Oh, yes. Um, there's a lot of discussion about anxiety online. And yeah, let's talk about our experiences. So what's your personal experience with anxiety? Uh, so my experience is that Uh, throughout my life I would have a few uh, panic attacks but it was never something very bad to the point where I felt like I needed treatment for it until I would say January 2018 I got a very bad panic attack I was just very I was feeling very calm I was just in the car uh, with my then boyfriend and I just suddenly panicked and I thought I was gonna die I felt horrible and he handled the situation very well and it got resolved it was not too traumatic But what happened was that my brain created an association that being in cars is going to give you panic attacks. So don't be in cars. Very specifically, his car was very (laughs) dangerous. Uh, So, and then my brain also decided that, oh wait, trains are quite similar to cars. I guess it's a very similar sensation. Oh yes, the sensation of being stuck. But no, but also just like the actual feeling when you're sitting in a car, like the movement and the vibration. Yeah, absolutely. And so... What happened is essentially I started getting an anxiety for being in confined spaces, such as cars and trains, especially. Um, The worst would be being very deep on an underground, uh, being stuck in traffic. And then it started like developing. I got very scared of elevators, of being even in buses. Uh, And then to a point where I just got scared of leaving the house. And it was probably the worst period of my life I had. It was a period lasting a few months where I was just absolutely terrified all the time. And yeah, it was a very difficult time in my life. Uh, I was really just spending a lot of time just being at home. Luckily, my boyfriend was, my then boyfriend was really supportive. That was very important. And you, Michelle, were really supportive. (laughs) And I got therapy. From a distance. We texted a lot. I didn't see her very much. Yeah, I was pretty much in bed a lot of the time. Uh, But eventually I got help and I started exposure therapy and it really helped me. And now I would say I'm quite functional. I still do not like being in cars. Yeah. I don't like traffic and I hate elevators, especially your elevator, Michelle. <laughs> but I... I made the mistake yeah. one day when she was literally just recovering from this. I made the mistake one day of telling her that the lift broke down whilst I was in it and dropped like two floors whilst I was in it like the day before. And I completely forgot... Because, like, when you see a person and they're acting normally, I'd completely forgotten you were going yeah. through this. And I was like, oh, my God, you never guessed what happened to me yesterday. And then you were like, why did you tell me that? And I was like, oh, my God, I yeah. completely I stopped taking the elevator to your flat, like, yeah. weeks after that, months. I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, you weren't the only one. A number yeah. of people did. To yeah. be- and on my part, I screamed and was like... Yeah. I mean, anyone would. for anyone. Yeah, if you That's were dropped. Like, obviously, it's, like, quite... A nightmare situation if you have agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving the house, or like um, claustrophobia. claustrophobia. Yeah. yeah, but anyone, 
in a lift which drops two floors. It's a scary thing. And also coming out of that lift and being like, uh, you know there's something wrong with the lift? And then being like, no, it's absolutely fine. I'm like, oh. They didn't even yeah. check it afterwards. I was like... Thank they were you like, for letting oh, me know that now. Have they checked it now? How am well, I no, they said, they said to me it has a like automatic device, which means it can only drop two inches. Oh. And I was like... Oh, very... And I was like, that was not two inches. It was two floors, yeah. not two inches. Yeah. Two inches is nothing. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have even felt that. It would have yeah. felt like, you know, when you jump in an elevator. Anyway. Yeah, but I think that is also... There is a distinction between feeling anxious and scared and having anxiety. Because I feel people use those words very interchangeably. Yeah. So when a person without uh, like claustrophobia or goes into an elevator and the, uh, and the elevator drops they yeah. feel anxiety they feel anxious you know yeah but when you have like full-blown anxiety your anxiety would be also when you're not in the elevator it'd be the thought of walking into the elevator you'd be thinking about that elevator thinking about that car ride yeah to point where it becomes very obsessive and to a point where it harms your everyday life and i think that's the distinction between feeling like anxious it's just in a situation but if you have an anxiety disorder then it's it like takes over your life yeah but what about you what is your situation with your experience with anxiety because i know we have quite different experiences with anxiety yeah so i would say i had anxiety without realizing it because i was so young at a young age um actually the first time i ever spoke about it was in my book like i it's a thing that i just kind of dismiss i still dismiss to this day but it's actually around i don't even know if you'd call it anxiety but to me i the experience was anxiety where it was with checking with door checking doors. Yeah, that would probably be obsessive compulsive disorder, but the con- But the anxiety, anxiety was around Well, yeah, the anxiety yeah. was around breaking in and burgling and people dying. And so I would do a lot of checking people's breath. Like if someone was asleep, like especially my parents, when my parents were asleep, I would go into the room and just check they were still breathing or um check locks. Um, and I wouldn't go to sleep for long periods of time. And what I've actually fixed that was um, was by accident because I went to boarding school and in boarding school there were no locks, so I couldn't check any locks. There was one evening I remember in boarding school I actually went down to the main front door of the entire school to check that lock. But that happened once in the whole, like, because I got so scared going in the dark to this, like, massive, like, school that I was like, no, we can't do that again. Um, And that's kind of what fixed it. And that kind of came back when I had PTSD when I was 21. Um, And that, like, came a lot more extreme with, again, it's not anxiety disorder, but it came a lot with... Uh, PTSD and then I had my first ever panic attack on a uh, but I believe this is not anxiety disorder again I think this is PTSD where I had a panic attack on a mountain when I was hiking and it's because I have this uh, I had this thing around PTSD where I believe PTSD trauma occurs when you're unable to escape so the anxiety was around ever being trapped in a situation and I was hiking with my sister and I've never wanted to go on a hike I, like, I'm not that kind of person. You can't escape mid-hike because, like, there's one route and the routes are usually, like, three hours long. The route we were on were three hours long. My sister was like, don't worry, it's the shortest route in Hong Kong. And I was like, three hours? And it was, like, one uphill. And he, she was like, as soon as we finish this uphill, it's like, that's all the uphill and then it'll all be downhill from there. We finished the one uphill and then I'm like, there's another uphill. And this 
top of the second uphill, I see another uphill and I'm like, you said there was one uphill. This is now three. And I just stop. And I'm like, how much longer? She was like, oh, we're about halfway through because she was like, oh, this is the last one. This is the last one. I like my brain just like, it felt like my brain was shutting down and closing down. And I was like, I started hyperventilating and like panicking, panicking on this mountain. Um, but I think there was a thing where I knew I had no escape. Like I couldn't go anywhere. I was stuck in the middle of a mountain mm. with one route. We were one and a half hours from the start. We were one and a half hours from the end. Yeah. So like there was, and the end was downhill at least now um, with one up in, and it was 95% humidity, 35 degrees heat. Like uh, we had next to no water because we'd finished it. And I was like, I am literally going to make this, like, I can't even remember how I got through it, to be honest. I just, I hyperventilated for about an hour and then, like, calmed myself down because I had to, because I had to somehow get through this. Um, And that was probably my one experience with a panic attack. And then I didn't really think about it until this summer. And uh, for most of you who know, who follow me on Instagram, like, my mental health was not great this summer. And I was on the tube. It was whilst we were having the heat wave. And uh, my brain just, like, started panicking. I, it, the, the tube shut down in a tunnel for 20 minutes. My biggest fear. <laughs> Honestly, it was not pleasant. And in that heat wave, even going on the tube was unpleasant. And I just started panicking. And I was like, I had... How I kind of see it is, like, if a panic attack is a 10 and, like, it's a 1 to 10 scale, I was getting to a 7 and I literally was like, no, if we get to an 8, it's going to go into a full-blown blown yeah. panic attack. I need to calm myself down now, like, mm-hmm. and urgently because I'm stuck in a tunnel so I can't even do anything about it. And it was kind of the mentality I had on this mountain where I was like, we need to calm ourselves down now, otherwise it's going to get so much yeah. worse. And so I thankfully had my phone and I had my headphones and I plugged my headphones in and I had meditations on my phone it didn't really work the same way a meditation normally works, but it calmed me down enough to last the five, ten minutes before the, yeah. the tube started working again. As soon as the tube started working, I got off at the next stop um, and, uh, yeah, just took it over the rest of the way. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't say I have anxiety... Oh, well, I don't have anxiety disorder. I've had blips of anxiety. I think my experience with it is very much... Uh, affected by the fact that I'm a coach so with coaching the beliefs around anxiety is that anxiety is simply fear of the future so it's emotion of the future and um it doesn't so much have the distinction between anxiety disorder and anxiety in an average human because uh, coaches believe that the physical sensation of it still feels the same in a person's body and so anxiety is a symptom um and it deserves to be treated as a symptom because um, someone's anxiety is equally valid. No matter, because it still feels just as bad in your body whether you have a diagnosis or not. And so the advice that's given around anxiety disorders um, is given as a broad thing for anyone who experiences anxiety attacks, experiences panic attacks, experiences. Um, anxiety in general or experience it or actually is diagnosed with general anxiety disorder they believe all is equally valid and all um deserves if you address the symptoms because even if you took two people with generalized anxiety disorder the symptoms could be so drastically different if you focus on the symptoms the treatment for both people would be better 
if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And the thing about the fear is the motion of the future, it's because coaches believe that, um, well, coaches don't just believe this, but this is true, that your brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. So when you're on a car, for example, if you're imagining the car crashing, that's what's going on in your brain. Your brain is physically reacting to a car crash as if it was happening. And the way we prove this or show this is if I talk about biting into a lemon, your body will physiologically react to it right now as we're speaking. I don't know about you, my mouth is salivating. That's what's happening when you're imagining a car crash while you're in a car. Like your body is physically reacting to what would actually happen if you were in a car crash because your brain thinks it's happening. Because anxiety is very much a fear of the future. Yeah. Because, for instance, when I was in the car, I'm not exactly sure what I was scared of, but it would be some kind of sensation that I would get stuck. I would not be able to walk out of there. Yeah. But you're imagining something in the future. Yeah. So that's why a lot of the techniques around anxiety, um, one that is used both in traditional psychology and in coaching is grounding is about bringing you back into the moment and back into the present because if you don't imagine events in the future anxiety can't actually exist you don't have anxiety of the present you have fear in Mm -hmm. the present and you have anxiety fear of the future um so what what grounding is is the technique of name five things you can see name four things you can hear Mm. name three things you can touch and like basically you grounding into each of your senses yeah um, the other thing that coaches tend to use is uh, look upwards and relax your jaw because another thing that doesn't help when you're in an anxiety attacks particularly or just anxious in general is your inner voice. Whatever you're telling yourself is creating that image more vividly of your nightmare situation happening. So when you relax your jaw and you look upwards, your inner voice comes down a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of different people have different things that helps yeah. for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for instance, I know for myself, what really helped me was to cut out coffee, which is such a simple <laughs> thing. But it, I realized that uh, caffeine would kind of in, would increase my heart rate. Yeah. So as a result, my body would think I was having an anxiety attack. And in the same way, I noticed, uh, actually I noticed that a few days ago I was at the gym and I noticed my pulse was going up because I was yeah. doing hard exercise. And it's almost like, my brain was, I started getting a bit anxious. Because, it's associated like yeah, a high heart, heart rate high with, heart rate with yeah, anxiety. Exactly. And you can't, and then it's, realize it's important for me to just stay in the situation. Yeah. And that was for me when I was treating my anxiety, I would, it was with exposure therapy, where I would put myself in situations where I felt anxiety, for instance, being in the car, but I would not do it too extreme. I wouldn't go on a long car ride in the, being stuck in the traffic for hours. I wouldn't do that. I would start very carefully with doing a short ride on the tube, for instance. Yeah. And then I would kind of just stay in the situation. And whenever I felt anxious, I wouldn't escape the situations. Because when I escaped the situations, my brain would just get a confirmation that, yes, it is dangerous. Yes, you have every reason to want to get out of the situations. And the fear would kind of beget um confirmed and reinforced i also think because if you believe all of those thoughts your life gets smaller and smaller like if you first you if you were like okay fine i'll just avoid all cars and the next thing is trains and then you're like okay i'll avoid all trains and the next thing is planes and it's like okay and your world gets smaller and smaller and suddenly and that is very that is kind of what agoraphobia is because you remember that the months when my anxiety was at its worst i pretty much did not leave the house yeah uh, I think you. I think I was just 
I was just alone or with my boyfriend it was an amazing support at that time uh I had you yeah uh, but I, I, you didn't from see me yeah, yeah. For, you loved me from a distance because yeah. <laughs> I was just scared of leaving the house yeah and it was so hard to get out of it it was would it have been awful. easier if someone came to you would you have been fine if someone came to you was it just the fact did you want to be alone or did you want to just be in your house uh I think I found it very hard to let people see me that vulnerable. So it was very uh, few people that I wanted to see me that vulnerable yeah. or to know how bad I was doing. Yeah. Because uh, I just don't like people seeing me in that state. Yeah. You know, I was a mess. But also I think when you're going through something like that, I know especially when I was going through my PTSD, like you need so much time to process. Yeah. And you're, it's, for me it was less about being seen in a vulnerable state and more about... I didn't think I was good company anyway. I wasn't. That's and I was like, I knew I could like break down in tears every two yeah. seconds. And I was like, I just, I also think sometimes it's hard because you have the expectation of who the person is. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't meeting that expectation. It's very was, painful. Yeah. It's very painful, especially for me at that point being, having been in a relationship and then knowing that my boyfriend was used to this very strong, confident, yeah. uh, independent woman suddenly breaking down and becoming almost like a child. Yeah. It's very difficult because it just turns every like relationship, friendship, everything, it just completely changes the dynamics. It's yeah. really bad. And very few relationships and friendships will actually survive those things. Yeah. How would you say, um, like, what do you think actually started changing it for you? Because, like, there was a point when... Um, like it started getting better. Was there yeah. anything specifically? Was it just the fact that you were like putting yourself in these difficult situations? Yes. So I tried medications and I know medication help a lot of people. But for me, it did not really help. It kind of made me a lot worse. Yeah. I just had a very strong reaction to the medications. Yeah. And so you had other some, side effects. Yeah, I had some bad side effects where it, it just became worse. Yeah. Uh, so what helped me was exposure therapy, which meant that I explained earlier, just putting myself in the situations. Yeah. And I had to push myself, but not push too hard. Yeah. And that was because sometimes I would be a bit too brave and yeah. I would just be like, yeah, I'm going to go on like a true bride around London. I think I spoke to you one of those days. And oh, I was yeah. Like, no, you've done one hard thing. Now recover yeah. for three days exactly. and try again. Yeah. In three I would days. push myself a bit too hard where I would go because I just wanted to get better. Yeah. Uh, but kind of gradually increase. Uh, the amount of um, uncomfortable situation I put myself in and I just kept on doing that and I needed to do it alone yeah I needed to be very alone when I was doing this Um, I needed to just do it gradually and then as time went by I couldn't feel it day to day on a day-to-day basis I felt like I made no progress because I was thinking I was still anxious today I was anxious yesterday yeah I'm gonna be anxious tomorrow but then when a month had gone by I would look back and see where I was a month before and I'd be like Oh, actually, you're doing so much more. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much what helped. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Me. I don't... I See, I look at my, my anxiety... Well, the anxiety attack I had um, 
what, two months ago, took me by shock, like really surprised. And I, um, what was worse was I remember I came off the tube, got into an Uber, the Uber dropped me off like a, a, a road down. I was already late. I My shoe broke on the way to it. And then I stepped on a piece of glass on the way there. Yeah. And I literally was like, I just can't deal with life right yeah. now. Like, I just needed to deal with that panic attack. I should I should have cancelled it, but I was going to see a friend's event. Yeah. So I didn't want to. Um, and I remember when I got home, the way I explained it in my head, which is not necessarily the truth, but just the story I told myself, was I was like, it makes sense to me that I had that happen, was because, like, I was going through so much over the summer. A lot of it was around my book. A lot of it was around, like, stress and life. And I don't even know, but, like, everything made sense that I had that panic attack. Like, I didn't even question it, really. I was just a bit like yeah, that makes sense. I've been going through, like... Yes. It was just an accumulation and I was yeah. suddenly still in a trap situation and it was like, oh, my brain was like, let's... Great, let's deal with all of the problems in yeah. the last, like, in one space. Yeah. Um, and if I was honest with myself, I was also sitting there imagining a ton... Like, when I'm on the tube, like, if I am in a negative headspace, I do imagine terrorist attacks that's actually where I started getting a fear around the tube Mm. um and so that's what I was imagining in my head right before I started panicking um and so I know that's like it's why I've I believe I don't have any panic I've not had any panic attacks on the tube since I always knew that is there as in Mm. like I feel you always have a like predisposition to the previous thought patterns you've had before absolutely and uh, I basically was really affected from a young age uh, well, not, well, it happened when I was at a young age, when I was 11 years old, from the 2005 attacks, that uh, I've always had a bit of a fear of the tube, and I actually yeah. didn't get on the tube for about five years afterwards. Yeah. I would always take a bus, and all my friends would, like, joke about it, and be like, oh, you're, like, not a Londoner, because you take the yeah. bus and you walk everywhere. And I used to just tell people I love walking. Yeah. I do love walking, but that wasn't why. Um, <laughs> Can totally relate to that. <laughs> so it's kind of like when you when you're, you have bad mental health, your brain shortcuts back yeah. to all of the old, like, locking the doors is just the first thing that will come back naturally. Yeah. And, like... Um, Worrying on the tube is another thing that yeah, will come absolutely. naturally back to me. Absolutely. But I also think that in some cases uh, where the worst case scenario is not really that bad. Like, for instance, if yeah. you're... Because anxiety often have the worst case scenario. For instance, if yeah. you said it would be terrorist attack. Yeah. But some people, their worst case scenario might be... Like, I, I know people who have an extreme anxiety for fainting. Yeah. Then what I... Uh, heard is that and what I've tried for myself is to imagine what if the worst case scenario comes yeah. true is it that bad for instance if your anxiety is for fainting in public yeah okay imagine worst case scenario you know you know for a fact you're not gonna faint because it's just not gonna happen but if it does well it could happen yeah but usually fainting from a panic attack is very rare okay it is extremely rare uh, but kind of tell yourself okay if I faint Worst case, will will I be able to keep on living? Yes, I will. Like, will it be the a problem bit is, this, So you saying that, I think because I've always had a bit of a fear of fainting because of my illnesses. Yeah. But I different. go, if I faint, I'm going to hit my head and die. But it's different because you have that medical history. But I'm yeah. talking now for most people because fear of fainting is a very common uh, thing to have agoraphobia for. Uh, and it's kind of to imagine yourself, if it happens... The worst so, case. Yeah, worst yeah. case, I faint... It's a bit embarrassing, but will I be able to go on with my life? Yeah. And then kind of 
just be like, yeah. You put it in perspective. Yeah. And one thing that I would often do as well, because uh, I would, when I would do my exposure therapy, I would still have anxiety in situations. They were kind yeah. of like you explained the tube, like your anxiety would go up to eight. And, yeah. you know, that would be me, me all the time on the tube. I would be on the verge of a panic yeah. attack, but I managed to think myself out of it. And one of the things I did, and this was actually a technique uh, that my ex-boyfriend advised me to do, was, was that you kind of just tell anxiety to just yeah okay bring it on yeah show me what you got <laughs> yeah come get me come get me give me anxiety like do it and then anxiety is almost like the anxiety is like oh wait and the anxiety yeah. backs off so kind of just to embrace the anxiety yeah it sounds so counterproductive but in my case it really worked I think the main thing I did was keep myself present in the moment so I was like yeah. very much listening to the audio of this med- guided meditation and I yeah. was like listen to the words and actually like hear the words and don't think about the future just literally hear the words and like keep myself in the moment yeah when it came to so because when I when I have worked with clients I don't work with clients with anxiety anymore but I used to um because we didn't work with diagnosis whatsoever do you find diagnosis helped you uh I mean I knew I had anxiety before I got it written on paper it was like textbook panic the writing on a paper and like the doctor Mm. saying you had it it didn't make you feel more valid no because I knew what was wrong with me I mean I think for some people they might it could be good to get a diagnosis because then they kind of feel like, oh, wait, I'm not overreacting. See, I but think then... it's only... A diagnosis... Sorry to interrupt, but, like, I think that a diagnosis is only useful if you've been invalidated in the past. Yeah. I also think the reason why it didn't help you that much is because you have a lot of knowledge around mental health. Yeah. And so you know it's okay to feel like that. Yeah, you exactly. know that you're not alone. You yeah. know all these things. Whereas sometimes the diagnosis... And that's why, like, the diagnosis itself actually is not that useful... But what it brings is acceptance, where a person goes, great, I'm not alone. Um, Great, there are a number of other people who have this diagnosis. So it's literally like factual proof I am not alone. Mm. Um, And it's the fact that like, if, for example, you're in a family that doesn't believe in mental health, it's something that like, hey, it's not just me making it up. A doctor has said this. Absolutely. Um, And I actually think this is why I'm more pro- us treating it like a symptom is because I think we aren't listening to people enough Mm -hmm. it should be valid from the first time they say they feel anxious and we shouldn't have to wait until a doctor validates your feelings and validates your emotions in order for you to be listened to and it's rubbish it's so rubbish Mm -hmm. that anyone grows up in a family where um where people would be like if you were anxious or whatever or PTSD or whatever it is a family would go like, oh, get over it. Like, you're making a big deal out of nothing. That's horrible. And I know for me, the only reason I got through my PTSD is because I called my dad up one... Like, when I I finally got to the point where I was like, I need to go to therapy, I called my dad up one day and I was like, I need to go to therapy. I can't tell you why. I can't talk about it right now, but I need the money. And he was just like, yep, go go do what you need to do and I'm here to talk when you're ready. And... Honestly, if he hadn't reacted like that, I don't know what I would have done because exactly. it was hard enough for me to say those words. Yeah. And that was just like, I couldn't even tell him what was wrong. I just was like, something is wrong mm. and I need to see someone. Exactly. I think diagnosis can be kind of a two-edged sword because I think also maybe in some cases, some people, it might hold people back a bit. Yeah. For instance, imagine if you get a diagnosis of, let's say, social anxiety, then you might become hyper aware of it and you become more anxious because you're yeah. thinking, oh, I, I have this. And so that means that every time I go in this situation, this will happen. And you kind of, 
yeah, you kind of reinforce it in a bit. That could think, happen. How, so what's the balance between you challenging it? So like if someone with social anxiety, you're right that so, there are some people who will be like, great, I'm socially anxious. So I'm just going to avoid all social situations. Mm. What's the balance between doing that and then also being like, no, this is not the way I want to live my life. I need to challenge it. Like, how do you find that balance? Like, when is it important to listen to your body telling you no this isn't enough and you know what I actually found it happening a lot around my events so uh in August September I was doing um a lot of book events like four or five and every day that I did a book event the next day I'd be tagged by three or four people in tweets Instagram posts being like I was gonna come to your event yesterday and then I got into social anxiety and I couldn't come Mm. and it made me so sad because the people who did come and there were people who came to the events and said the same thing being like I have social anxiety I never go to an event alone and today was the first time and I I found it really interesting that there were both types of people and what made me really sad was the fact that it was the perfect kind of event for someone with social anxiety to come to because every single person at one of these events ended up leaving with a friend like the queue waiting for me to sign books they would always end up chatting to each other and when they came up to approach me it'd be like three of them and I'd be like oh did you guys come together and they're like no we just met in the queue yeah I think it could also it can maybe sometimes depend on the severity because I remember for instance for myself when my anxiety was at its most severe yeah I couldn't just I couldn't just go to for instance yeah that event not because I had social anxiety because I didn't that was people I think every time I was say that I had anxiety people would assume I had social anxiety no I would not be scared of going to a party where I didn't know a single person I would be scared about being in the car on the way to that party so I think it depends because you did cancel you cancel you were meant to come to Cosmo Awards with me yeah this is this is the difference so I remember you you wrote something on my page a couple of days ago being like I wrote something about to the woman with anxiety and you were like what's lovely is that you you lived this when I was going through it. And I was like, the reason why I worked with us is because, for example, I invited Amalia to the Cosmo Awards probably two months before. Mm. And she gave me a week's notice and told me, look, I just don't think I'm going to come. If you'd told me on the day, Mm. I would have been annoyed because like, I could only RSVP with one person, with one name, and I would have had to go alone. And Mm. yes, I could have done it. But it was a really big accomplishment that I really wanted to enjoy with someone else. Yeah. And so that's why it's also like, it's a two-way street where it's like, I'm fully understanding. But you also, you might not know a week before. Yeah. But err on the side of caution. And if you think you can't come, like, you did the right thing by telling Mm. me like, and what turned out to be on the day you were like, yeah, there was no way I was going to be able to come. Yeah. Um, But it's a two-way thing where like, People are going... Like, I'd like to think most people would be understanding, but do what you can to give people pre-warning. Yeah. And, yeah, I think most people are understanding, but I did have situations where people would not be understanding, and that oh, really? was extremely painful. When I would be vulnerable and open yeah. and tell, hey, you know what, I'm sorry, I just my anxiety is out of control. And there would be people who... Most pe- again, most people would be understanding, but there would be people who would be not understanding. That's so painful. I think, yeah. And also, like, I mean, there were some days you cancelled on the day, but to me it wasn't a big deal as long as it wasn't a big event. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So, like, the big event you cancelled a week before, there were times when you were like, I can't come. And I was like, yeah, cool. I think, for me, it was also because in the back of my head, this is going to sound really bad, but I assumed you weren't going to come. Like, there was that night when all the, like, body positive women from Instagram came over, and I was like, I know you're not coming. Mm. But, like, 
I was like, I'm gonna leave, like, I'm not gonna say that because that wouldn't have yeah, helped you at the exactly. time. And, it, and also, but, when you're having anxiety, which is very isolating, especially agoraphobia, yeah. just being invited is very nice. But also, like, can you imagine if you text me being like, hey, I can't come, and I'll be like, I knew you weren't gonna come. Like, no, it wouldn't feel good. <laughs> but just feeling that you are being, you have the opportunity to go yeah. without much pressure, Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. And then you can kind of, you know, that if you cancel, it's fine. Yeah. Because like people usually people just don't really want to it's not like people sit yeah. there and they just really want to cancel they don't want to do anything it's just yeah but I know that that's what made me sad when people commented that because like commented saying that they wanted to come and that because I was like I know the battle you must have gone through in your yeah, head exactly. that evening yeah. is like you would have had all these pros the fact that you know that it's going to yeah. be a friendly event you know that um and like I commented one if they commented early enough, I commented back being like, literally come up to me, give me a hug. Early on, I will yeah. be there. Like, you'll see me lingering around somewhere. Tell mm-hmm. me you're this person. I'll come and give you a hug. I'll make sure I introduce you to someone, even if it's just, like, one of the booksellers from Waterstones. Yeah. And they will look after you, make sure you're not alone. And, like, yeah, of course, that doesn't make the social anxiety disappear. But, but I in... think having a good evidence of a good experience yes. can make the next time easier. And I think doing that one time might not make it disappear but if you continuously put yourself in situations that make yeah. you anxious but often in a controlled manner like what I would recommend because I remember you you asked me but early in podcast never really answered it is that uh when do you know if you're gonna like push yourself or when yeah. do you know it's gonna be too much I would say set up a certain if you have the resources to get therapy get a professional and then kind of set up a plan yeah on how you're gonna like plan out beforehand like this week I'm if you have social anxiety maybe I'm gonna do go meet a friend for coffee I'm gonna do this do that go to that party and plan it so it's not too much but yeah. not so you just completely don't do anything at all I did this with, this with my therapist but I would plan out that like I think it was first it was like maybe once a week and then it was two times a week I would like take the tube to a yeah. random place in London and then take it back yeah and I think there was one I remember there was one time you messaged me I hope you don't mind me saying this but there was one time you messaged me when you were like um oh I don't know why I'm so exhausted and it was like it was the day after you'd like you'd done something really big like going yeah. on a, your first tube journey or something like that and you were like oh I don't know why I'm so exhausted I literally can't do anything I can barely leave the bed and I was literally like do you know how it physically like yeah it might have just been a tube journey but like it would have been so mentally exhausting I like I think I said to you like you do realize I took a week off after my TED talk and obviously that's anxiety compared to anxiety disorder but like I experienced massive anxiety the weeks before my TED talk and I was knocked out like I don't even remember what happened the 10 days after my TED talk I was like I allow myself 72 hours of recovery time after every public speaking event I do because I used to have anxiety around it it's got so much better whereas now like now I can say 72 hours before it was a week and I remember saying to you like be kinder to yourself like yes, you just did a yeah, huge accomplishment I, was, I remember when I was going through my recovery process I was often very hard with myself yeah and I noticed that I was so exhausted both the period when I had anxiety but especially when I would challenge it yeah challenge it oh my god I was so exhausted I was yeah. so tired and I didn't understand why but I realized why my brain is thinking that I'm in some kind of I'm, I'm yeah. fighting a bear I'm doing something well, really adrenaline. badass so the reason why it's 72 hours is because your adrenaline will literally yeah. be pumping and because yeah. what anxiety is is it's imagining your worst case scenario it's imagining fight or flight like yeah. and it's operating that in your brain regardless of whether you're 
in a safe environment or not your brain thinks it's not so it's pumping adrenaline which is why you have this like crashing feeling the next day is because you have so much adrenaline in your body and it takes 72 hours for adrenaline to leave your body for everyone and that's not even the mental stuff on top of it so like sometimes it takes longer than 72 hours but to give yourself that time and to not I don't know in those 72 hours I very much take the viewpoint of not believing everything I'm saying to myself because I'm like it's not true it's just adrenaline just ignore it like yeah and so I don't feed into those thoughts for the next 72 hours I'm like because mm. whatever it is it latches on to random things whether it's like my body or whatever guy I'm seeing and like I'm like just ignore it like after 72 hours if I'm still thinking these thoughts then we'll analyze them but right now turn on Netflix just chill yeah (laughs) well not Netflix and chill yeah (laughs) not that not that (laughs) um okay cool well I think that's a great place to leave it right now yes um thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoyed if you want to find me on Instagram I am scarred not scared and I'm Molly Lee and we'll speak to you in two weeks bye bye bye